This episode of the Cloudcast is sponsored by PagerDuty. Folks, if you work in IT ops, IT administration, you've got to know PagerDuty. PagerDuty eliminates the noise, chaos, and manual processes across the entire incident lifecycle. All the stuff that keeps you up at night, all the stuff that's complicated when applications fail and networks fail. And let's be honest, it happens. So PagerDuty is trusted by companies like Etsy, Nike, and GitHub, and a whole bunch of other companies that you guys know and trust on the internet. So to sign up for a free 30-day trial, visit www.pagerduty.com. And now, onto the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about a very, very cool, very new Docker service, but from a company you may not normally expect to hear something like this from, um, around open source and Docker services historically as kind of the startup purveyors. But, but tonight, we have Lucas Carlson. Uh, Chief Innovation Officer from CenturyLink. Um, Lucas, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing so good. I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. And then we actually have a um, beta tester of Panamax Service, which we're going to be talking about here shortly. Uh, joining us from Office of the CTO at EMC, we have Jonas Roslin. Jonas, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good and Brian, uh, you know, didn't introduce you as well, but Brian's with us as always. How you doing, Brian? I'm good, man. I'm a, I'm a little frantic because next week's VM World and it's VM World, <laughs> but uh, no, things are good. I'm, I'm glad to have everybody on. This is the first time we've had uh, four people on the show, so uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, usually whenever we do more than than one person remote, it's always like you know at shows with a yeti and a bunch of background noise and people walking by. We're actually doing you know trying to do four way over Skype tonight, so we'll see if if Skype holds up for the night. <laughs> right. So uh, so Lucas, um, so first off, thanks for coming on the show. Um, you know, by way of background, uh, you came into CenturyLink through an acquisition. So for anybody that doesn't know you, um, give folks a little bit of your background and how you. How you ended up in CenturyLink, and then more importantly, kind of the, the unique situation that, that you have in, in what you're working on, uh, you know, the, the group uh, that you work on that, that's doing some of this cool stuff. Absolutely. So I've been a programmer for about 20 years. Uh, my background's in open source. I started in PHP, and then I went into Ruby, and I wrote the Ruby cookbook for O'Reilly, uh, got into cloud, uh, and then about four years ago, I started my first startup, which was called AppFog which is a platform as a service that uh, signed up over 100,000 developers. And uh, it was really fun. We raised $10 million. And about a year ago, CenturyLink acquired us. And they brought me in and said, Lucas, what you've done with platform as a service is awesome. And AppFog's great. But we're a telco. And we've got a lot more than just platform as a service. We have a whole cloud. And we need help. We need help understanding how do we build a cloud that's important, that can do some awesome functionality, that's differentiated and can stand out? How can we do something special? Uh, and so my mission has kind of expanded from just platform as a service to really taking on uh, a broader view and saying, how can we help CenturyLink uh, get ahead of the competition by getting into, in a major way, 
cutting edge technology. And that's that's been my mission is how can we get CenturyLink in front of developers, DevOps, and operations people uh, by doing cool stuff. It's an awesome job. Very, very cool. So, so I got to ask sort of a follow-up. Like, what's, what's in the water over there? Because tr- traditionally, like you said, big telco, sort of ISP, owns their own network. Not something that people would think about as, as fast and nimble. Very reliable, but not fast and nimble. And in the last few months, it's been, you know, uh, a public uh, PaaS offering, uh, a Docker offering. Uh, we're going to talk about Panamax today, you know, announced a a big sort of hybrid cloud launch. Like what's, what are you guys doing from a DNA perspective that kind of makes some of this stuff come out very quickly that maybe wouldn't happen at other telcos? Um, Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things is that CenturyLink doesn't have a mobile phone business. They've partnered for one, but they don't own one. It's, we're not selling iPhones. Uh, so they really have made a huge strategic bet on cloud. Cloud is very important to them and getting cloud right was very important to them. So it's not like they have uh, a mobile business that that, uh, they have a new iPhone coming out every year. So making sure that they get cloud right is strategically more important to CenturyLink, which, as you mentioned, not everybody knows CenturyLink and not everybody listening even has heard the name because if the telco isn't in your area, you might never have heard of them, but they're actually the third largest telco in the United States. And they do about $20 billion of revenue every year. So they've got 50,000 people, and it's a massive business that needs to get cloud right. And so in order to get cloud right, they've been uh, really changing up the DNA. So they brought me in. Uh, I'm from Portland, and, and you know I've been born on the cloud. I was uh, a cloud developer for years. It's I've, I, Small business isn't the way I've been thinking about things. I've been thinking about things as a developer. And then they acquired uh, Jared Ray with Tier 3, and that's a, another West Coast, born-on-the-cloud guy, to reinvent uh, CenturyLink's cloud. And so they based CenturyLink Cloud on Tier 3, which was his startup. So it's like they're reinvigorating the cloud with startup DNA, with born-on-cloud DNA, and, and they're really letting us have a lot of uh, leeway to guide the direction in the way that that maybe other traditional telcos aren't thinking right now. They're, we understand it because we're the users. We, we, we grew up with this stuff. Interesting. So in essence, they, they had to get weird in order to kind of get innovation. Yep. Uh, very cool. <clears throat> so, so let's talk about Panmax for, for just a second. Um, so, I, you know, for, again, if you're not familiar with CenturyLink, you're probably really not familiar with Panamax. So tell us a little bit about the evolution of it and, and what it really is, and then maybe we'll get Jonas's impression and, and how he got started in it as well. Yeah, that'd be great. So uh, about a year ago, I was given the role of chief innovation officer, and I started a blog called the CenturyLink Labs blog, CenturyLinkLabs.com. Uh, and I started to write about stuff that I thought was really industry changing technology that was really forming where the industry was going. It's like, I didn't want to play catch up. I don't want to try to drag, uh, technology to play catch up all the time. I wanted to make a big bet in an early space. And especially a year ago, my bet was on Docker. I I could see the promise of Docker. I saw how cool it was. And foundationally, I saw that it changed the game for the, the, it changed the rules of the game, and I saw it as a way that when you're doing source control, 
it, uh, Git changed the rules of the game because it enabled collaboration. And so GitHub let you work with other developers in a more open, easy way than, than any source control that it let you before. A lot of the other source control was about managing your own source code, but Git was really the best and first source control that was excellent for doing groups and teams. Uh, and so Docker kind of did the same thing for DevOps that Git was doing for source control. And that really interested me. You know, everybody talks about how containers are really fast and easy to load and that that's what's cool about Docker. I don't think that that's obviously cool, but what I think is killer about Docker is the collaboration. So I started getting into that space and figuring it out, figuring out how I could take advantage of it, how I could create applications with Docker. Uh, and so I was doing all that and I was blogging about it as I went. So as I figured out how to make a, a two-container system, I blogged about it. When I figured out how to make a three-container system, I blogged about it. And I got to know all the ecosystem players, and I blogged about that. And we created a mailing list and created an ecosystem a feedback loop where I could ask people about their experiences, uh, eventually uh, you know, interviewing them and really getting to know what, what was their experience with Docker. You know, Because there's so much going on, it's moving so quickly. I tried to dig deep. And out of that, we decided, you know, we're not just going to be watching this. Let's play in this space. Let's create an open source project and be, make something worth creating. So when I envisioned Panamax, uh, I thought, I want to build something in this Docker ecosystem, but I don't want something that competes with other stuff. There's so much stuff coming out every single week. It's like Flynn, Deus, Doku, or Paz's. Uh, Kubernetes, Mesos, uh, Fleet, CoreOS, all of these new things are coming out, and it's almost too hard to keep up with it all. Uh, but I didn't want to try to uh, compete with those things. I didn't want to make another PaaS or another orchestrator, or I didn't want like a sliver of things. I wanted a, to build a tool that would help everyone, th that wasn't in one of these like cutthroat, well, you can only use one of these or one of those, I wanted to build a tool that made Docker and the tools around Docker easier to use. And that was kind of the, the foundational idea of Panamax. And now, just last week, we were able to launch it, which feels so amazing. Uh, and and fundamentally, Panamax is, is a tool to make Docker and creating applications with Docker easier. And it's, it's born out of having talked with people using Docker, having used Docker myself, and uh, and looking at the whole ecosystem. Very, very cool. <clears throat> and is it, I mean, you know, you, you just sort of said, look, I'm excited about this. It just launched. Is it, is it what you thought it was going to be when you started, or, or how much has it sort of evolved from what you maybe initially thought it would be? Uh, it's evolved somewhat. I think that um, initially I saw I had a vision where you would start mixing not only containers, but you'd start mixing containers with virtual machines and managed services and all sorts of like mixy-matchy, like take everything in the cloud and make it a Lego. That was the initial vision for Panamax. Uh, and I realized that first we need to do a great job with containers. So I focused in on containers, focused down on Docker. Uh, and at the time, uh, the Docker index, which is now the Docker hub, was, was pretty small. Uh, but I could see that it was growing quickly, and now there's like over 18,000 images on the Docker Hub. 
And it's like, I don't even need to worry about multiple virtual machines and other stuff because there's so much going on in the Docker Hub that you can actionable, make it actionable with Phantom X that, uh, that there, it's like so much utility at your fingertips uh, that, that the kind of original vision, which morphed into just a pure Docker system, uh, actually made more sense. Interesting. Very, very cool. All right, Jonas, still with us. I am. You, you're using this stuff. You've been playing with it for a while. What's, what, number one, how did you find out about this? And, and then number two, give us, give us some feedback. You're, you, you play with a lot of stuff in the community. You have a sense of, you know, kind of what's interesting and cool. Give us your feedback. Absolutely. So um, I got an email from the Central Link Labs um, distribution list uh, most like a few weeks ago asking me if I wanted to be yeah, uh, part of something and of course I said so I, I signed up for the private beta I had no idea really what I was signing up for um, and then just what is it two weeks ago um, you released the, the first p- uh, private beta of Panamax so I started playing around with it uh, during the weekend and I thought this is pretty cool and then last week it was released and what I've seen so far uh, I've been talking to a lot of people about it. I've been tweeting about it. I've been blogging about it because I, I, I honestly think it's so totally different. Uh, like you said, Lucas, you didn't want to do something that competed with anything else. And I think it's so totally different than anything uh, that's out there right now. Um, the catchphrase, Docker Management for Humans, is definitely... It's so easy to ma- um, to manage your Docker containers, uh, putting them in proper application constructs and saving them as templates. Um, I, I just got to say, I, I, I like the product. It's very easy, uh, very easy to get started with. You, you've made the packaging of it and the installation of it very simple. Um, and I've seen a, uh, the last couple of days, there have been um, quite a number of different template uh, templates being um, pulled down into the template repo as well, which I think is great. Um, the sharing the community of uh, of creating application templates, if that continues to grow, I definitely think we have something um, that's uh, very worthwhile here. And have you have you created anything you know app wise? Have you have you created have you have you built stuff yet, or are you mostly just kind of poking around trying to figure out what it can do at this point? I'm trying to build something interesting. Uh, I've seen a few templates out there that are really interesting. And I've been uh, attending DevOps Days and Puppet Camp this week. So I've gotten some, some interesting um, thoughts about out an application that I would like to build. So I'm trying that out uh, now as well. Well, uh, I hopefully will be able to make it in time for the um, contest that you're having. I saw that there's there's a whole bunch of money available as a as a contest toys and dollars and stuff. That's very very cool. Yeah, we we were able to uh, to put together. Uh, it's not actually just money; it's actually prizes. Uh, over a hundred thousand dollars of Mac Pros and iPad Airs. I w- I went to my boss and and you should have seen his face when when he when I first told him this. It's like I want to give away the best contest prizes that I've ever seen. That would just make me drool, and I and I was like, "Can I have a hundred thousand dollars to give away to to kickstart this? Because the value of Panamax will come from if we can really galvanize a group of people around this, 
and to 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 really you know skip the chicken and egg problem of of creating a an application template marketplace. Uh, if we give people incentive to to try it, and hopefully they find out that they that it's actually really cool. Uh, you know that that was my job is build a piece of software that that's really cool, uh, and now let's get attention for it and build something that um, build an audience and build. Uh, make enable people like Jonas to build the coolest stuff, build t- coolest templates, and share them with the world. One of the things uh, uh, that I always kind of found frustrating because I I built AppFog uh, before this, I always found it frustrating that with platform as a service, you could you could only deploy certain kinds of applications. Like, uh, for example. You could never deploy AppFog on top of AppFog. You can't deploy Cloud Foundry on top of Cloud Foundry. You can't deploy OpenShift on OpenShift because it, it doesn't work. The, the whole platform-as-a-service model is create a platform for applications that are much simpler, like easy, templatized, just cookie-cutter applications. And what I saw in Docker was that you could do anything. Anything could go in a container. Any arbitrary piece of software, technology, infrastructure, uh, abstraction can fit in a container, and then you can stick them all together. And like, you don't have to deal with the rules of the platform as a service. So one example, a real-life example, is like there, you can't pick load balancers in a, in a platform as a service. You can't say, hmm, I'm going to... Uh, today I feel like HAProxy. I think HAProxy would be better than whatever routing mesh we've got to deal with. So you can't just say I'm going to pick up and mo- change that piece. But with Docker, you can have an HAProxy container. You can have an Nginx container. You can have you can build your own uh, load balancer and use that in a container. Uh, and I wanted to enable that vision of stitching together any component and and putting it together, not just saying, okay, I'm going to take your code and stick it into an infrastructure that I want, but make all the containers into Legos. And, and that way, as the DevOps community curates these images on the Docker Hub and, and the Nginx people make the best Nginx container and the HAProxy makes the best HAProxy container and the Rubyists make the best Ruby container, like I don't have to be an expert in any of those things to take advantage of the logic within them. And yeah, and... I, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say that real quick too that that the idea of the Legos, right? Because the Legos to me almost says that you know it really is the concept of of simplicity and really taking because because Docker can be so complex and also very complicated at times. Of you know, and and, and what you're really trying to do here is is taking something really complex and really kind of make it a little bit more manageable, a little bit simpler, a little bit easier to digest. And that, that really seems to be a trend, you know, in, in the infrastructure as a service space, the PaaS space, a lot of people have been kind of, you know, for the last couple of years building a lot of complexity. <laughs> now everyone's trying to figure out how to make that complexity much more simple, um, which is, I think, is a key theme going forward. Now, So a- adding to the... Um, to your statement there, I definitely agree that you're making it more simple. The visual presentation of your Docker images uh, as an application, not just separate containers, and the management of tying them together as well, so linking 
linking applications together to actually, or linking containers together to actually create a larger application. Um, and having that as a visual presentation, not just in a text file, I think that's extremely powerful. Um, that definitely helps me in my thought process of creating um, larger applications using a tool like this. So I, I have a question, and I'm trying to uh, kind of connect a couple of things in my head. So today I can go out to Docker Hub, and I can get sort of Dockerized anything, you know, applications that have sort of been Dockerized. You guys aren't necessarily replicating that with Panamax and, and this idea of templates. You're sort of going... Use those as building blocks, and then when you get to things that people think are repeatable from an application perspective, that's, that's sort of what your template and application store is. Is that the concept it's built upon? Yeah, the concept is actually built on the, the concept of 12-factor applications, also known as microservices. Okay. So the idea of 12-factor is uh, to separate your concerns and make different parts of your application uh, into separate services that interact with each other, loosely coupled. Instead of building monolithic applications where everything is in one big application, you decouple it, uh, make everything horizontally scalable, and have those components talk to each other through APIs. Uh, and so that's, you know, the idea is every container, instead of sticking Apache, MySQL, and your load balancer all in one container, the best practice is to have uh, each piece of your application, so the load balancer in one container, the application code in one container, the, the database code in one container. And that way you can scale those components independently. So if you, if you have it all in one container, the problem is you can't really scale any individual level uh, horizontally because you're replicating the entire stack every time, and that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, but the, the problem is right now you can... Uh, it's really easy to package your app into one container and then pull it from the Docker Hub and just run that, but then you can't scale past it. And you're not using best practices. You're not using 12-factor or microservice architecture. Uh, the problem is once you get into uh, microservice architecture, it becomes incredibly complicated just to get started on a multi-container system. So if you have five containers in your application, trying to figure out how to connect them together and scale them out is just a mess. You have to, it, it's not impossible. It's just very, very hard. You have to learn all sorts of new technology. Uh, there's a new piece of technology almost every week, every day that comes out that you're like, oh, I have to take a look at that now. So there's etcd fleet, uh, systemd, there's uh, uh, Mesos and Kubernetes and every different piece of technology uh, has its own things that you have to learn. You, you have to learn how to configure it, how it works, what ports you have to open. You have to, there's just all sorts of learning. The learning curve for a five-container app is extremely steep. So pulling a single container is easy. A five-container system is just a very, very difficult thing. And what we wanted to do with Panamax is take all the best practices of a five-container system and put it behind a single click. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you talk about sort of not not packing the containers so uh, you know sort of the stack within that. And that was I know I was sitting in one of the Kubernetes talks out at OSCON, and, and the guys from Google were talking about that as they they sort of started down that path and they realized that didn't scale. They started putting every single 
sort of layer of a even you know a lamp stack or any sort of stack in its own container and then they started figuring out how do you replicate that how do you networking them together how do you scale them so yeah i think you're you're hitting on the complexity be, you know grows very very rapidly and and it's interesting that you talk about that with just five containers which most people would be like oh five containers i run that in my little home lab but it's like you said how do you network them how do you uh you know how do you provision them um, you know, how do you do stuff that like Mesos is doing for uh, scheduling them when to come up and when to come down and stuff? You're right. It does become potentially very, very complicated, even though it's very, very powerful. Yeah. And we're currently talking, we, we started out with CoreOS and Fleet integration so that you can take advantage of CoreOS and Fleet without knowing anything about SystemD, etcd, or Fleet. It'll do it all for you. But we're actively talking to the Mesos guys. We're actively talking to the Kubernetes guys. Everyone's excited because we want to build drivers for those. So you'll have drivers to do Kubernetes with Panamax, drivers for Mesos for Panamax. So you don't have to make a commitment, and you can reuse the knowledge that's being created within the uh, application template marketplace uh, on whatever orchestration system. So right now, people are building stuff for GitLab. People are building stuff for uh, build pack supports for Drupal and WordPress and uh, we, you know, one of my, one of the ones that came just recently was Minecraft support. And I thought that was funny. Uh, of course it was there. Uh, it's like, you know, you don't have, you shouldn't have to have to figure out how to connect a five container uh, Minecraft server together uh, just to get started. You know, that's, there should be some standards for setting that up and deploying it onto any orchestration layer. Uh, you know, obviously you're going to have to get into the weeds and get under the hood eventually, but in order to take best advantage and just get started with, with, uh, a multi-container Docker system, uh, we wanted to make it really easy. Very cool. Aaron, did you hear that? It, it should not take you three weeks to set up a Minecraft server for your house when you, cause exactly. I know, cause I know you're thinking that you're going, Oh cool. I can set up my own Minecraft server and you're going to tell me it's going to take you three weeks to do it now. Exactly. Exactly. So, Hey, Hey Jonas, what, so from kind of outside looking in again, yeah. what are, what are some of the kind of like common uses that you're seeing or, or, you know, where you've really seen inside of the community so far, you know, the use cases that are really taken off. You mean for Panamax or for Docker in general? Well, I, I would say actually we'd want you know do both maybe. <laughs> so I would say for, for Panamax, I think this is a great way of actually introducing people to Docker. Um, instead of giving them a, a command line and a few commands to, to pull down containers and run them, uh, I would say using Panamax as kind of a kind of for them to start interacting with the larger Docker community and the Panamax community, of course, uh, but using Panamax as the uh, kind of the tool to get them to know what Docker is and how containers work and how you can actually connect them together. As Lucas was t uh, saying before, you don't want to build these huge containers with all your applications inside them. You want to have them separated. And I think that's... Um, I think Panamax will uh, will be a great tool in actually l teaching people how to build those applications in a proper way instead of just cramming everything inside one. Um, so I would say it's a, it's a great community tool. I don't think we've seen the community uh, take off fully yet. Um, but as I said before, we uh, I've already seen a lot of 
um, interest in it. Uh, I talked to many people about it uh, at DevOps Days here just a few days ago. Uh, so there's definitely a community buzz, and uh, I think we're going to see uh, a lot more buzz coming uh, coming around Panamax in the next couple of weeks and months. Hey, Lucas, I, I want to ask you a question, and I and I hope this doesn't come across as insulting because I know the, the the hardcore developer community out there sort of lives by the CLI. They live by command line and so forth. Uh, but a lot of times for things to become very mainstream, and we've seen this with, you know, web website development, we've seen it with, you know, when, when things like VMware went from, you know, very rudimentary tools to lots of graphical stuff. I mean, does this, is it, is it okay or is it acceptable to say this may become sort of that stepping point to where this helps something like Docker become mainstream? Or is that sort of an insulting thing to say for somebody who is a, you know, a hardcore developer like yourself? I seriously hope this helps Docker go mainstream. That was uh, a lot of my intention. I I think that Docker is one of the most popular, uh, fastest growing open source projects in the world that's in history, in the history of open source software. Uh, and if I can have even a small part in helping it go mainstream, that would, that would be huge for me. I think that, uh, you know, I, I've been that hardcore developer and so I, I've earned my stripes, and I've gone to the point where I realized that uh, setting it up all on your own and like slogging through it uh, is is sometimes fun, but sometimes it's also uh, you know sometimes it's your time is better spent in other ways, and you get to a point in your career where you realize that your value isn't always in figuring out how to connect all the dots together. Your value is in doing the business logic of, of creating applications. And, uh, you know, when you do that, a tool like Panamax can really get you there faster. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of ask one last question because we're, we're sort of hitting that time frame. I want to be conscious of everybody's time. Um, we get a lot of folks who, um, you know, maybe aren't as, as fortunate to be in the situation like you are where, the, the larger company they work for give them sort of a lot of freedom to, to go work on things and experiment. Any, any guidance for folks that, you know, have a bunch of ambition or sort of have ideas, but, um, you know, like what, what, what are maybe like two or three of the tips that you guys have found from CenturyLink Labs or what you and Jared are doing that's allowed you to be innovative in a, in a big company that maybe are transferable? Yeah, I think that, uh, one of the things that big companies need to understand, and this is really on the service provider side of big companies, is who are the end consumers of cloud services? Because I think that a lot of larger, more traditional enterprise software uh, companies, service providers, they still think that the, the CIO and the head of IT are the decision makers uh, within the uh, within the big world of decision-making. I, I, I personally think that that's changed. That used to be the case, but the end users of cloud are now developers. Developers are the ones who take the APIs from the cloud and implement stuff and get stuff done. And so if you're not pleasing the developers within the, uh, the organizations you're trying to sell to, uh, you're not really competing. This is a secret sauce that everybody looks over and, and sees Amazon and how 
much uh, market share they have and how great they're doing. Uh, and they're like, wow, how are they doing that? Let's, let's spend more in marketing or something. No, you don't spend it in marketing. You spend it creating stuff developers care about. That's, that's the secret sauce Amazon showed us the way. Uh, and, but very few big companies, uh, are really understanding that. And the more you can, uh, create, uh, stuff that is attractive to developers, the, the better you innovate. So I'd say that that would be one thing. The second thing is just, uh, working on stuff that you are excited about. GitHub has changed the way developers, uh, work on code. It, it has made it much easier to contribute and join communities and ecosystems in the open source community than it's ever been before. Uh, you can do pull requests anywhere. It's just so easy. Docker is doing that for DevOps people right now. Docker is doing to uh, making that same collaborative feeling for the DevOps community. So if you like DevOps, uh, now is a great time to jump in and start start working on your passion. Uh, publish stuff on the Docker Hub. Gather feedback. You know, have clone stuff, pull stuff, push stuff, and and help people out with their containers. It's it's really um, it's a, a really great place, and it's still early enough to make a big difference. Very very cool. No, I think that's I think that's good stuff, and I think that's stuff that, quite honestly, you know, the majority of people can go. Cool. That's that's not completely out of reach, and that's something I can go you know go work on on my own time, or go work on, you know, pick a project, start small, and and kind of go with it. So that, no, that's very very cool. Thank you for that. Uh, Aaron and Jonas, any, any sort of last comments, thoughts, or, uh, you know, stuff you want to, you want to pick Lucas's brain about? Go ahead, Jonas. <laughs> um, I would just uh, like to know what's your thought on, on going forward with, uh, with this project. What are your next steps for Panamax? Yeah, the, the immediate next steps are, uh, we've been working on it and making sure it was a really great piece of software, uh, I forget that we haven't told the people how to get to it yet. So if you go to Panamax.io, that's the website. That's how you can get it. It can run on any cloud infrastructure. It can run on uh, on your laptop. We made it super easy. You can just use, if you're on a Mac, you can homebrew, install it. So it's super easy. Uh, but the next steps for us, uh, one is just to deal with stuff that we were so close to the Panamax project while we were building it that we forgot to put stuff like a stop button. So you can't actually stop your apps. So that's like <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Like that, that, that stuff's easy, but it, the, we didn't realize it because we were so close to it. Now that it's out, we, we see that. Uh, but the real strategic stuff that I'm, I'm super excited about, and I'd love for the community to jump in and start helping, we've already got pull requests for the code, is uh, getting stuff like Kubernetes and drivers for Mesos and drivers for other orchestration systems. Uh, I think that if we can help people adopt all the different technologies within the Docker ecosystem and put best practices into them, uh, that's going to be huge. And then building out the, uh, the application marketplace, which is on GitHub. Like the templates that you create, when you save them, they just go to a GitHub repository. So anybody can have them, share them. Uh, one of the next things we're building is uh, the ability to have private repositories so you don't have to, you don't have to share them so that you can have secret applications, ones that you don't, you know, you want to work on internally with your, with your organization, but you don't want this, the world to see them. So that's something I'm excited about. Uh, and, uh, 
making it just something that uh, works uh, everywhere and, and just makes things easier. That's, I just want to grease the wheels for the Docker ecosystem. Awesome. Very cool. Very, very cool. Well, listen, guys. Uh, so, thank you, everybody, again for you know for coming on, um, for taking time out of your out of your schedules and so forth. Uh, Aaron, any last stuff before we uh, sort of uh, head home and uh, close up the show? No, I think we're good. I think uh, at least for Brian and Jonas and I, we have to go all get back to our VMworld stuff <laughs> so we can actually get some sleep before next week, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll, be, I'll be at VMworld too if anybody wants to find me. Oh, sweet, great. So, so yeah, so. Lucas, where can everyone follow you, find out more about what's going on? And obviously, you know, if, if they are at VMworld, they track you down, right? But, but what's the best way to find out more about uh, Panamax or, or what you have going on in CenturyLink Labs? Yeah, so CenturyLinkLabs.com is the website, the blog. It, we've got tutorials and easy, easy stuff to do to get started with, uh, with Docker. Uh, Panamax.io is the Panamax website. Uh, and uh, at CenturyLink Labs on Twitter, at Panamax underscore IO uh, on Twitter. And I'm me personally, I'm at CardMagic uh, on Twitter. So feel free to reach out. Very cool. cool. Thank you. Jonas, what about you? Yeah, easiest way to get in contact with me would be on Twitter, at VirtualSwede. Uh, and my blog is up on purevirtual.eu for Europe. Very, very good. Well, guys, thank you very much. If uh, if you guys run into uh, uh, if you run into Lucas out in uh, out in San Francisco, buy him a beer, or uh, you know, hit him up. And more importantly, like he said, go go grab his code and go play with it a little bit and, and give him feedback and go contribute to it. So, um, guys, thanks so much for being on tonight. Uh, for Aaron and I, and for Jonas and Lucas, uh, we're going to wrap up the show. And folks, have a good weekend. iTunes and tell a friend about the podcast.